<clears throat> okay, Mr. R. <laughs> How you doing today? Good? That's cool. All right. Levels look good? <clears throat> I think we just uh, jump right in, right? As I said before, 2023, no lollygagging. Let's just get right to it. We can... We can BS after this, right? <laughs> All right, here we go. You ready? Uh, three S's, star, smile, strong. And uh, let's try to get that music uh, as close. The last one wasn't too bad. If, where, if you remember where, because I basically say the same thing all the time, pretty much I think in the same cadence. So if you remember where you hit that, where I was in that intro right before I stopped. And did you notice in the last episode, I kind of wasn't hearing the music, so I extended the Captain Fantastic. Did you hear that? <laughs> We're on the same page. I'm, I'm, I'm working with you. I, I'm, I'm trying my best to make it as tight as possible. I know it's not your fault, so we got to try all every trick we can. All right? <laughs> okay, here we go. Three, two, one. Hey, it's Elton Jim Toronto, and this is Captain Podtastic. And welcome to another episode of Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. Every Monday, a new episode is posted at WGNRadio.com or wherever you go to find your favorite podcast. We're there. There we are, just sitting there waiting for you. Come join us. Come join us. Listening to this podcast, that's priority one, but priority 1A is getting out there and telling the rest of the world that you listen to. So get out there, tell your friends, tell your family, tell anybody who listens to a podcast that your favorite podcast is Elton Jim's Captain Podcastic, and it should be theirs too. That loyalty, that devotion, oh, what can I say? It, it, wakes, it, 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 it makes me wake up every morning. If you like what you hear, go to WGNRadio.com, go to the prompt for this podcast, go to the podcast section, then go to the prompt for this podcast. You need to go to step one before you go to step two. Go to the podcast section, then go to the prompt for this podcast, and my goodness, what a hidden treasure you will find. You just hit a little button, and all of a sudden... All these podcasts are there for your enjoyment. You can binge as much as you want. There's a lot of them in there. Because this is episode number 350. Hoofa. 350, 350, that's a big number. Uh, as I've said many times, we enjoy any kind of numbered event that ends with a zero or a five. And this one certainly does. So welcome to episode 350. It seems like just yesterday when I was announcing my 300th episode. <laughs> that was probably, what, 52 weeks ago? I'll have to take a look to see when that was. It, it's, well, yeah, well, fit, no, fit, no, not 52 weeks, right? Hello? It wasn't a year ago. It was 50 weeks ago, almost a year ago. So that must have been, uh, you know, sometime in late February or so. 
but uh, anyway, welcome to episode 350. It's a big deal with a, with a, with a zero on it, especially a five. Oh, a five. We like fives too. 350. That sounds impressive, doesn't it? Yeah. As I said, uh, last couple of uh, podcasts here started this. We're getting close to the anniversary in May. 2016 was uh, when the first podcast was posted. And we're, you know, you, you all, fa- I mean, here we are in February, right? And it's still cold and for most of the country and it's still winter. We're in the, we're still in, we're still in winter. But you know, uh, spring trading right around the corner. <laughs> Don't you love that? That's all you're going to hear now in the next couple of weeks. You know, spring trading until the, you know, uh, baseball teams go back. Next week, you'll be hearing that on all the news. Spring training usually starts for baseball, starts in uh, in mid-February or so, and they like to talk about that because then it's kind of this little reminder that spring is is soon because spring is always the official uh, arrival, uh, you know, or baseball is the official rival of spring, even though <laughs> the baseball season now seems to, begin earlier i think it even starts in in late march and then it always now it's been going into mid-november you know baseball used to be fairly in a in a in a you know april like early to mid-april and it would end in october you know that basically that's why reggie jackson in the playoffs in the world series that's how he got his nickname of mr october because he he always have good seasons but he always came alive when he was on a playoff team or a world series team and that's when he really excelled hit home runs hit his historic three home runs in one game uh against the dodgers but um but now baseball with uh with the strike last year and it was put into november it was you know, it's like so. Hopefully, but I think the games are inching up. I think the, the first game this year. I know last year it was in March. Now maybe they had something to do. You know, I don't even know. I have to. I could probably go online and, and find that out as to when the baseball season starts. But um, but I just remember it being. Um, it seems like it's been inching up. It used to be early April, and then it was like real early April. And uh, and now I believe that. Let me see. I'm just I'm, I'm by a computer here. Let me just hit the button and see what it says. Yep, March thirtieth. March thirtieth. So in a month and a half, baseball starts. It used to be April. You know, now it's March. So uh, as I said, you'll hear these sportscasters going, "Well, you know, uh, baseball teams go to spring training." So that gets people all excited that oh, maybe this winter is almost over. But I don't know. March 30th. I don't think it's that warm in March 30th. It's getting a little warmer, hopefully. But I, usually it takes into the middle of April before things start to you know get warmer in a consistent basis in the 60s and, and things like that. But when you start starting to, when you begin the season now, March 30th, and then going to November, it's almost year-round. I mean, think about that. It's It's almost now. I mean, it's the last, you know, one of the last days of March. It's not the whole month, but with spring training in 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 February, it basically goes from February until early to mid November now. 
So there's December, January, and then mid-February starts spring training again. <laughs> but you know what? You know, at this point, if you've been paying attention to any of the headlines and seeing some of the outrageous uh, contracts and numbers, uh, hundreds of millions of dollars that baseball players are getting now in these multi-year contracts, you know what? Maybe it should be a year-round job, right? They shouldn't get. They used to actually get almost six months off. Not anymore. And you know what? If you're going to make 150, if you're going to make 20 million a year, you should at least work 12 months a year, right? Don't you think? <laughs> That's the least you can ask for. But, um, but anyway, yeah. So here we are in uh, in February. But that's not what I wanted to talk about. What I wanted to talk about today um, was a, a a recent passing of a uh, of a celebrity, which um, hit me much more than I thought it would. I mean, I didn't cry, I didn't weep, but I I was intrigued by it, I was saddened by it. And I it's been now uh, almost a month and uh, and I've just been kind of thinking about it more and trying to process it and and wondering why it uh it has struck me uh as hard as it did because I wouldn't on the face of it, I don't think I would have thought that that this person's passing would have uh, would have been in my mind more than just a uh, a little reading it over on the internet, but it really has it stay it, it has stayed with me and uh, and I thought I would share some of that in case you weren't aware of some of the background on this person as well as as I said uh, sharing some of my thoughts about her death uh, back uh, about a month or so ago uh, on January twelfth. The shocking news that Lisa Marie Presley, the only daughter of uh, Elvis and Priscilla Presley, passed away suddenly of a cardiac arrest in her home just two days, just two days after she had been seen in public on global worldwide television. Uh, in the audience at the Golden Globes Awards because of the fact that uh, the movie about her father, Elvis, by uh, Baz Luhrmann, was nominated for a Golden, several Golden Globes, including the winner of the uh, Best Actor in the musical uh, category, Austin, not Austin Powers, no. <laughs> Uh, in fact, now I'm blanking. That's why I've got the computer here. What? What is Austin Butler? Right? Is it Austin Butler? Yeah. I shouldn't just be talking to myself when I'm behind a microphone. It's Austin Butler, isn't it? All right. This is very professional, right? It's Austin Butler, right? Yeah, it is. Uh, well, at least I was right. At least I didn't say something goofy. But uh, he won Best Actor for the. Uh, for his portrayal of Elvis Presley, and did do a, a very good job, uh, I must say. Even though he's kind of a pretty boy, Elvis was a pretty boy. They needed a pretty boy, and but he he had a lot of the moves down. He had the voice down so much so he had the voice down even when he made his acceptance speech at the Golden Globes. He was kind of still in the Elvis character. Thank you, thank you very much. But um, but at the award ceremony, both at the red carpet and then. During the ceremony, especially after he won, uh, they 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 had a shot of of his of of Lisa Marie and her mother Priscilla at their table, and they were both crying. 
very emotional. I mean, um, you know, Elvis remains an icon and a, a an important part of not only musical history but cultural history. Really, Elvis helped change many many attitudes in the very strict and conservative 1950s in the mid 50s. Uh, certainly helped change music. It's interesting that uh, while he was dubbed early on in his career the king of rock and roll, since his death on August 16th, 1977, um, unfortunately, I, I think, you know, his, his um, and I've talked about this a little, his persona and his music have taken hits and they've lost a little of their luster over the years, even though Elvis still holds many of the Billboard uh, music chart, uh, you know, records in terms of uh, record-setting songs and for albums and things like that. Even today, almost 70 years later, which is is, is quite an achievement, um, certainly uh, musical acts or, or artists of the past, uh, you know, they come and go and they fade, and many times, and but some still stay with us. And there's no question that the Beatles have done an excellent job of marketing themselves. I mean, you know, next year will be uh, the 70th year, <laughs> or the yeah, no, the 60th year uh, of the Beatles. You know, 1964 is when they came to America, and they were around for the, before that. I understand it, but when once they hit it in America, that's when they be they became worldwide phenomenons. America has always been the proving ground when it comes to entertainment, and uh, so it'll be their the sixtieth uh, anniversary of them being on uh, the Ed Sullivan Show, and they've done an excellent job of staying current of of marketing the music of uh, of of making sure that uh, that. The younger generation is not only aware of them, but appreciates them uh, and knows who they are and is aware of their music. And luckily, even though sadly, of course, we've lost two of the original members, John Lennon and George Harrison, it certainly helps that Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr are still alive, both in their early 80s, and still performing. So sort of keeping that music relevant and alive and being sung and performed by some of the original makers of it. It's one thing to be able to hear a song uh, by an artist, but it's another thing to be able to still see that person as old as they may be, as as as, as different looking perhaps as they were when they were the lovable mop tops, even though both Ringo and Paul do certainly look good for their ages. Um, you know, Frank Sinatra, for example, uh, everybody knows Frank Sinatra, but he's not around anymore. We hear some of the songs. We see some, uh, you know, concerts uh, on television, early performances, and things like that. But it's still not uh, the same. And Elvis, uh, sadly, died at age forty-two, so he's been gone, uh, you know, for forty-five years now, more than forty-five years. So we've got a couple of generations there that don't that just know Elvis as a thing not as a living, breathing person. I was alive, certainly, when Elvis uh, passed away, but I was only a teenager, a young teenager at the time. I didn't. I, I certainly knew who Elvis was. Everybody did. But I don't think I had a full appreciation for, for him at the time. I was uh, 
as I said, an early teenager uh, when it happened. So, um, but I, but my point is that uh, because of the amazing adoration of his fans that still continues, maybe not as strong as it used to be at one time, especially right after he died. But, uh, you know, for the last, as uh, what we say about 45 years or so, 46 years, uh, this year will be 46 years that he passed away. Um, for a good 35 of those, uh, you know, Elvis was still very prominent. I think the last 10 or 15 years, though, some of his prominence has begun to fade. And sadly, because this whole cottage industry of Elvis impersonators initially grew out of a true uh, respect and reverence for him because his fans were so devastated by his loss and wanted to see to still experience the Elvis phenomenon so there were all these Elvis impersonators that were cropping up then there always were a few but then after he passed away it literally became a cottage industry so much so that it almost well not even almost it became a parody uh, and and Elvis lost a lot of that that respect because it was almost like these these Elvis impersonators Everything was, you know, they would exaggerate his look with the jump, with the white jumpsuits and the pompadour and the, and the sunglasses and the mutton chops, uh, sideburns and the, you know, the, the upturned lip. And uh, those are all trademarks. But, but then without him being there to legitimize that, these, these exaggerated uh, impersonations and exaggerated uh, caricatures of Elvis began to stick whereas well then it was you know then you had Elvis chapels and Elvis marrying people and it almost took that reverence away that you would have for somebody uh initially that he had as I said before you know he was dubbed the king of rock and roll early in his career and uh so his persona his image I think lost some respect and in the course of that so did his music. You didn't really hear a lot of his music on the radio. Now, granted, there is an Elvis station on Sirius, and and people know his big hits, certainly. Um, but, a, but a real sense of respect for him and his music and what it meant and what it did for popular music, which was always given reverence, began to fade. And you'd hear people talk about people like Little Richard and, and when they pass away, like Little Richard and Chuck Berry and Jerry Lee Lewis, many of the the um, the charter members of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, the first class. Uh, when when they passed away, you 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 heard them talked of with reverence that they were the architects of of rock and roll, and they were huge in in forming this whole kind of pop culture that emerged from the birth of rock and roll in the mid-50s. And as much as Little Richard and Fats Domino and Chuck Berry and Jerry Lee Lewis and Sam Cooke and, and many others like that, uh, as much as they, Buddy Holly, as much as they they, they played a key role uh Elvis 
was the guy. And I think, sadly, Elvis's, uh, you know, respect and reputation has fallen in many people's eyes, too, because, you know, then later the, the, the singer-songwriter became a, a, not only a popular trend when the Beatles not only performed their songs but wrote them, and then gave birth to the singer-songwriter uh, genre in the in the late '60s and early '70s. You know, Cat Stevens, James Taylor, things like that. But it's almost become expected that if you are a performer, that you write your own songs. That was not the case for much of the history of pop music. There were songwriters, professional songwriters, who would get up in the morning at nine o'clock and go to work till ten, you know, or, or till five, and go to an office building, the the great Brill Building in uh, in New York was a, was a famous place where songwriters and record uh, companies used to um, be housed for their headquarters, and songwriting was a trade. It was a nine to five job. And it's where you had your Irving Berlins and and people like that. They weren't performers. They were songwriters. And and then they gave them to singers like Frank Sinatra and, you know, and and Johnny Mathis and and all the, and Robert Goulet and all these, you know, and all these people like that and Bing Crosby, Uh, you know, so there were singers and there were songwriters, but then the Beatles brought along this idea of the singer-songwriter, and then it was, it was uh, even more enforced, as I said, with people like uh, Carol King and James Taylor and, uh, and Cat Stevens and people like that in the in the mid to late seventies. And then it became, and Paul Simon. Uh, then it became a a prerequisite. You 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 had to, if you were shown any real respect, you wrote and performed because it was. It was now the the idea of a song was a personal reflection, a personal conveying as opposed to a singer singing someone else's words. Uh, it was it was uh, the connection to music and the personal side of it uh, was was more important and took on more pre- you know, importance and more respect. And Elvis didn't write his music. And Elvis, I know he played a guitar on stage, but he wasn't really a musician. He was a singer. He was a performer, and that was. And at that time, that wasn't that wasn't looked down on. That was par for the course. But as time went on, the singer songwriter took hold, and so that was high, has become and still is highly prized than just the singer performer in many ways. And so I think the the combination of Elvis not writing his own music, the idea of these Elvis impersonators that made a a kind of a mockery and not and initially not deliberately, but just the proliferation of Elvis impersonators and tribute shows and then as I said before then Las Vegas taking it over with the Elvis chapels and the Elvis ministers you know his 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 uh his image has taken a hit and then of course now in the in the more politically correct and diversity uh influenced times and the woke times whatever you want to call it um you know elvis is is also being somewhat put into that category of appropriating black music 
because many of his early hits like that's all right mama and heartbreak hotel and uh you know he's saying ready teddy i mean he you know they, those are all written by black artists but elvis took those songs and and but this is a sad reality and, and i don't i mean i i don't really i don't really fault him um, for this, but in today's world, you know, there's such strict rules here now uh, that there's there's no shades of gray. But I look at it as yes, there's certainly he took music by black artists and popularized them and brought them into the mainstream. But without someone like that, that music would have gone unheard. It was around, but nobody was playing it. No one was hearing it. Sadly, yes, there's no question. There is a huge segregation and prejudice in this country. And, and, and a lot of black music was not getting airplay on mainstream radio stations. So there were great blues and jazz performers that were toiling away in obscurity. So I guess you can say, all right, if Elvis didn't, uh, sing those songs, um, then we may not have ever heard of those people who did, like Big Mama Thornton or Little Richard, who wrote these songs and performed these songs first. Sadly, that's the way the system was that day, in those days. So I don't, I don't, I don't fault Elvis. I actually say, you know, at least he brought attention to it. He had a, he was born. Don't forget, he was born in Mississippi and he was raised in in Memphis, Tennessee. He was surrounded by blues and jazz and black and gospel music. He made many gospel albums. He was he he was surrounded by black music. So I don't and I don't really believe that he co-opted it for his um, I believe that he was surrounded by that that was the music that he loved. And that's why he sang in that style because that's the music he heard. He heard the original black versions and those black performers singing those songs so when he began to form his style he was imitating what he was hearing and he was surrounded and immersed in the black music culture i don't think he should be faulted for that and in that era that was the only way that music was going to get heard so i i don't i i i believe that that's an unfair criticism but now it is floating out there too so Elvis, uh, I believe, has been in need of an image, uh, what can we say, resuscitation or a, um, a reexamination because he, he did play a pivotal role in changing our culture. There would have been no Beatles. You know, if, if, you, if you bow at the... If you bow at the uh, at the altar of of the Beatles, and that's not a bad altar to, to bow at, don't get me wrong. There are there 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 the Beatles don't exist without Elvis. They were huge Elvis fans. They were they were admittedly huge Elvis fans. Elvis started it all. It's unfortunate that it was a very uh, closed and segregated and prejudiced. Uh, society and and uh, uh, in, in 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 terms of mainstream 
American entertainment and tastes. Yeah, it's 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 inexcusable. But that was the way it was, and that's when Elvis was born. He was born into it. You can't take a man out of his time. That's the biggest problem with the with the cancel culture today. And looking back at historical figures, and we are uh, we are unfairly judging historical figures by our mores today. We have the advantage of time and the lessons learned that time gives us and in the enlightenment that time gives us as, as a as a community as a culture so we certainly can point out the inadequacies and and the the out out you know out and out wrongness of of certain uh, eras or certain laws or certain customs and traditions that were at the, uh, you know, in, as part of the American culture. We can certainly point those out and we can certainly condemn them, those policies. But you can't, I don't think it's fair to condemn the people many, many times who, who were in those times. Because we all know how hard it is to change things. And as I said before, we're, we're looking back now with the knowledge and wisdom that we've gained over decades and centuries, and now we're judging people. And, and, and believe me, uh, we think that we're so enlightened now, but a 100 years from now, I can only imagine what the generations are going to be saying about us. Because we think we're we're widening our understanding of things, but they will how we're living today and now with this more you know being aware of things and diversity and all that stuff and it's great, but a hundred years from now we are going to seem like we were prejudiced and constricted because things are going to be so much wider in a hundred years. And we're and we are going to be judged and and persecuted for backward thinking, just like we're now looking at historical figures and 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 punishing them and and ridiculing them for being backward or unenlightened. The same will happen to us. It 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 it's it's inevitable. As time goes on, we gain more knowledge and we gain more experience as a community, as a culture. So the goal is to continue to move forward as a culture, yes. And and it is to look back and, and find things that were good and bad about our past, but I don't think it's right to always punish those because they were simply living in their times. And I think it's really unfair, and it's, a, and it's, an, and it's, an, it's an impossible standard to live by, to be judged by, the ideals and standards of a culture a hundred years in the future than looking back and uh, and ridiculing and punishing and denigrating those people from a hundred years ago by saying, oh, well, they did this and they did that. It's hard that you can't take people out of their times. So I think Elvis has gotten a bad rap, and I do think, and I'm, and I'm, uh, uh, and I'm not a huge Elvis. I mean, 
I have a connection to Elvis. I've talked about this many times. Uh, my connection to Elvis is that we have the same birthday, January 8th, not the same year. <laughs> but uh, so I, you know, even though I was never a huge Elvis fan, I certainly had this little interesting little connection. And I visited Graceland a couple of times and I've got, you know, I've got my share of, of Elvis albums, but I'm not. And one time I even had Elvis checks. But I'm not like, you know, a, a crazy Elvis fan. But I had this connection. So I've always, you know, because of the birthday. So I've always had this little kind of, uh, you know, soft spot in my heart for him. And, uh, but, but, but as a fan of music and, and something of a musical historian to some extent, uh, I do believe that Elton, or Elton, that Elvis um, deserves a lot of credit. And and he, he he shouldn't be cast aside. And his music deserves to be respected as well as him, as a performer and an icon and a very important, um, uh, you know, force in loosening up a very prejudiced and and conservative and tight and opaque society. You know, we, today we talk about transparency. Well, transparency means you can see through it, right? A, a window is transparent. Opaque means shut, closed. Translucent is right in the middle. You can sort of see through it, sort of not. We, our aim in today's world is for transparency. The 1950s were opaque on many levels, governmental, society, People didn't talk about their feelings. They didn't talk about what they did. It was a very closed-minded and, and, and very shielded society. And Elvis broke that. Who we are today and how we live today, this is no exaggeration, can be traced back to Elvis Presley. That's not an exaggeration. Now, you can argue if Elvis hadn't come along, maybe somebody would have. Potentially. But when? That was a key. Well, that's why everybody understands. You know, there's so many people that now, you know, baby boomers and people in their 60s and 70s are, are, and 80s are lamenting the loss of rock and roll. Or the, not the loss, but it's, it's definitely dying. It's not the dominant music by far anymore, right? You know, hip-hop and... And pop music, uh, but certainly hip hop and, and rap are the, the dominant, uh, you know, musics today. Rock is still around, uh, but it's on life support. And as I said many times, in the next ten or fifteen years, rock will probably be going the way of uh, of jazz and big band. When those performers like McCartney and Ringo, and Springsteen, and Elton John, and Billy Joel, and James Taylor, and Pink Floyd, and all these people wind up, you know, passing away. When they physically aren't here, the music will still be around, but their presence is also important to the legacy going on. And once that presence leaves, that physical presence leaves, a great, uh, an important uh, aspect of that legacy is diminished. We can love Frank Sinatra, can love to listen to his music, but when you can't see him in concert, you can't see him perform, the legacy can only go so far. 
We can appreciate Mozart and Beethoven, but we can't see them. We can't see them conducting now. So the music isn't as present and urgent. But we can see and hear Beyonce. And we can see and hear Harry Styles or whatever you want to, whoever you want to mention. And so that's where the music goes now because it, they, they are alive at the moment and keeping that alive. And when that live aspect of a certain genre, uh, the, 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 those leaders of the, whatever it is, movies, music, whatever it may be, poetry, whatever, when those people die, the work remains. Yes, it can be appreciated. Yes, it can live on. But there is a, 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 an aspect that, that is missing when you can't see those people actually practicing and performing their craft and keeping that in the moment as opposed to something that was in the past. So I'm glad that Elvis is, that the people behind Elvis are trying, I think, to reestablish his image and point out what he achieved and who he was and dispel some of these conceptions of Elvis that have been grown and, 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 and have arisen over the last almost 50 years since he died. Many of them false, many of them misunderstood, many of them exaggerated. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad that, that there's, that there's a, a, a new hopefully a new appreciation or at least an effort to create a new appreciation for who Elvis was, his background, um, his career, his music, and yes, his, his importance in breaking down so many of the walls and the silos that existed in American culture. In the 50s, a very tight conservative time, Elvis broke those rules and broke down many of those barriers. Who we are today, we can trace back to Elvis. Now, when you see Elvis perform or sing, it may seem tame by today's standards, which just goes to show you how tight things were. I mean, a guy shaking his hips was considered scandalous in 1955 and 56. Today, that that doesn't even register on the on the on the map. But you know, famously, Elvis's hips would not be shown on the on the on the Ed Sullivan show for fear of inciting a riot or being obscene. That was how closed the society was. Today, my gosh, were people naked, right? So Elvis, you might that's so that's what that's what has to you know the context has to be given of why Elvis is so pivotal. So hopefully, um, you know his image will be um, you know reestablished by this film by Laz by Baz Luhrmann. Um, and so, as I said before, uh, to get back to Lisa Marie. The family certainly, you know, wants Elvis to be appreciated for who he was as the years go by. And as it's, you know, it's, 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 it's very, it's a difficult job to keep those iconic people remaining iconic. 
especially after the the generation from which they rose to fame and and celebrity uh when that generation fades then that's and, and is gone that's then the difficult task how do you make those people remain relevant to a younger generation who was not there to see them in person, who was not living in such a tight society and can't even imagine it. Our young people today can't even imagine not having a phone in their pocket 24 hours. That's only a a 15-year, really, 15, 16-year phenomenon with the smartphone. Yes, we've had cell phones, but the smartphone really changed everything. And that's, what, 16 years now? 2007 is when the smartphone was in, you know, was introduced. But there's a whole generation that can't even imagine, you, what do you mean you didn't have a phone at, you know, at, your, at, at your pocket? There's many of us alive who still remember those days that not, but soon, in 20 or 30 or 40 years, there will be a society that would never have remembered, that will be, there will, there will be, a generation gone that won't be able to say in my day we didn't have phones all the time because there will be a time when everyone had a phone they will always that generation that uh that didn't have uh, you know smartphones all their lives will be gone and so that's where the hard part comes and that's where the elvis you know family uh, you know and and those behind his image that's where the hard work goes because, you know, it's been almost 50 years since he's, since he's been dead. How do you keep that same sense of respect and excitement and reverence um, and iconic standing? How do you keep that alive this, at the same level that it was for the people that experienced it and helped create that when they're gone? How do you get a, a younger generation to appreciate that? So I think this movie, the Elvis movie, with Austin Butler certainly is a major uh, effort in that. A few years ago, there was a, a a documentary called The Searcher that was produced by John Landau, who's a former writer for Rolling Stone and has been the Bruce Springsteen's manager. And this, this documentary, very very good documentary and it really was focused on elvis's music and why elvis's music is so important because i believe elvis's music sadly as i said before has lost a lot of its respect because his image has become almost clown-like with all the elvis impersonators so um it was very poignant at the Golden Globes on you know January what tenth to see Lisa Marie Elvis's only uh, you know daughter only child and his ex wife Priscilla at the same table and enjoying the fact that Austin Butler won the Golden Globe so there's clearly an appreciation for his performance as Elvis which means that there would be an appreciation for the film Elvis. 
and hopefully this this broader appreciation then if people go to see it that this will draw more people to see it to fully understand his story and maybe either regain their respect or learn to respect him for the first time based on your age based on where you were whether you have been a, an Elvis fan and you were alive when he was uh, when alive and around and maybe you saw him in concert or you have you you're you're 12 or 15 years old and you just know Elvis as a name and as as I said before a parody of some of something hopefully you get you know this 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 uh, campaign to to reestablish his uh, his his image and his music uh, this music, this movie, is a, is a, is a key uh, element of that. And when when Austin Butler won, they showed Lisa Marie and uh, and Priscilla, and and Lisa Marie was especially, you know, very moved and crying when when he was up there, and he thanked both of them, Priscilla and Lisa Marie, from the uh, from the stage. And just a couple of days before that, Lisa Marie was back at Graceland the famous Grayson where Elvis lived and where he is buried uh, for his birthday on January 8th to celebrate what it would have been his 88th birthday and fans gathered and she was there. Um, She was born in Memphis. She hasn't lived in Memphis in many, many years, but that's where she was born. She grew up in that house. I mean, as much as we look at it as a, you know, as a, as a tourist attraction now as a garish tourist attraction, before that, that was Elvis's house. That was Lisa Marie and Priscilla lived there. So she has connections to that. Even though we look at it now as a you know, as a as a tourist attraction or a tourist trap and a symbol of of Elvis's extravagance or whatever you want to say it, but for Lisa Marie, that was her home. That was her her birth home. That's where she grew up. You know, do you ever do you ever think if you if you've moved out of your house, no matter how old you are, do you ever think back of the house you used to live in when you grew up? Well, that's hers. And uh, and so suddenly, you know, for the last the, the the days leading up to her death, at at, at just fifty four years old. She would have been 55 uh, now. Her birthday is February 1st, so she only died about, you know, two and a half weeks before her 50th birthday and four days after her father's birthday. And uh but you know, we you know, you hadn't seen a lot of her in recent years. Back in the 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 2000s, early 2000s, she uh and throughout the 2000s, she put out uh in the early part, she put out a couple of albums. Um, and her first debut album in 2003 was a number five album. Not bad for Elvis's daughter, right? Not you know you can't expect her to to top or match what her father did, but a top five album is is a top five album, and she had that. She put out a, a couple of more. She put out a very um, respected and critically acclaimed album in 2012 that was. Um, Produced by T Bone Burnett, very kind of moody, dark, uh, and she and she wrote. And unlike her dad, she wrote and co-wrote many of her songs. So she was a viable artist. She was very work. She did a lot of work with charity. 
Um, but at the same time, um, she really lived a very turbulent and troubled and confused life, sadly. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think why I was so touched. I, 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 maybe, the, like I said before, I have this soft spot for Elvis in general because we're born on the same day. Uh, we are, Lisa Marie and, and I are, are close in age. I'm a few years older, but we're, we're close in age. So it's always kind of jolting when someone in your age group passes away like that. Um, I did have her, her first album. I liked her song, Lights Out. But uh, and the album was called To Whom It May Concern from 2003. I, I, I have that album. But um, as as a as a observer of Elvis's career, I wouldn't say a, a big fan. As an observer of Elvis's fan, an interested observer, um, you know, it's hard not to see Lisa Marie's part in Elvis's life. And she was born in 1968, and immediately born into the world spotlight. I mean, from the day she was born, uh, you know, you'd think, my gosh, this is Elvis's Elvis Presley's daughter. You, you know, talk about winning the um, the genetic lottery, right? That's the way you look at the people in the royal family, like William and and on Harry and Charles and. Uh, it's like wow, you know that's you when when if you're that's that's the genetic lottery. You you came out out of the right womb, right? <laughs> and that's the way initially you look at at Elvis's at Elvis's daughter Lisa Marie Presley when she's born. Elvis um, was still very popular. His popularity had waned a little. He went to the army, came back. He made a lot of bad movies. But if you remember, and by 1968, he, he was making something of a comeback. And he had that, that famous comeback special. So Elvis's career was back on the rise again after uh, taking, a, you know, as every long-term, uh, you know, long-time career of any uh, performer does, they go through peaks and valleys. But Elvis was on another... On a rise again in, in the late sixties, you know the Beatles certainly helped, you know, take him away from everything. The, you know, he, Elvis was very jealous of the Beatles because he they really toppled him. You know, him and Dylan, the whole sixties revolution sort of made Elvis you know out of fashion. But by but Elvis was still their idol, and that's what kept him uh, relevant in many ways, as well as the people that liked him were still around. All those fans who were teenagers, you know, in the 50s were, were now in their 20s and 30s, and they still liked Elvis. So he did have this comeback, and she was born right in that, that period when he started to go uh, on, a, on a rise again. You know, he went to the Vegas then later. He did the, the, the concert in Hawaii. So by the late 60s and early 70s, Elvis had another ray, you know, rise in his popularity, and she was born right in the middle of that. So Lisa Marie was born in the spotlight. She was born at that time to the most popular entertainer in the world. That is quite a world to be born into, as we found out later in many books and revealing things, of, of, of what kind of a, of a, a very sheltered and, and, and turbulent life Elvis led because of his fame.
as well as his own personality uh, attributes. But Elvis lived a very isolated uh, and then sadly, you know, drug-filled life. No doubt, filled with fame and fortune, but on the personal side, you know, very turbulent. And she was born into that spotlight, into that crucible. By the time she was four years old, Elvis and Priscilla had divorced. So by the age of four, she was already the child of divorce. At four years old, you know, you're just beginning to 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 get memories and 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 become aware of life. And so for all we know, she may just have very sketchy memories of growing up at Graceland and have very sketchy memories of, of her parents together as husband and wife. Just four years old. She was already beginning to be shuttled between Elvis and Priscilla, you know, on private jets going to, to, to Graceland. And, and, and is Elvis there? And, is he, and if he's there, you know, how present is he? You know, he's touring and he's surrounded by his Memphis Mafia. So even when Lisa Marie is there, is, he, is, is, is there really quality time with her as she's growing up? So she's at four, her parents divorce. Ask any kid, who's, regardless of if your parents are popular, you know, celebrities or not, right? That's not easy for any four-year-old to handle. And then put it on the fact that you're in this spotlight of being the daughter of the biggest entertainer in the world. You're followed by reporters. Everything that happens is reported. There's people standing outside your door. There's people clawing at your father. And you don't really understand what, what, what the whole, what is that when you're, when you're that age? It's not happening to everybody else's dad. It's not par for the course. So she's born into this amazing, uh, you know, spotlight, relentless spotlight. And then at four, her parents' divorce can't be easy. And as she's, be, you know, transitioning out of that and growing up in that crazy Elvis world that becomes reality to her, at age nine, he dies. She was just nine years old when he died. That's pretty traumatic. Regardless if, you're, if your parent is Elvis Presley or not. Your parents divorce when you're four, and five years later, he's gone. He's dead. That's pretty heavy for anybody to take. I, I've, I always saw, you know, I've seen pictures of, of Lisa Marie when she was a little girl, and there's some beautiful pictures of, 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 of her with Elvis, and Elvis is holding her, uh, you know, in her arms. She's got this pretty blonde hair, and she's got this big smile, and she's looking right in his eyes, and sadly, I doubt if she even remembers that because she was so young at the time, but she certainly was present in that moment, but I don't even know if those pictures brought back any memories, or she just looks at them like, well, that was, I, I obviously knew who this guy was, but you know, she was only 10, and she lost her father. How many memories does she really have from four to nine? Does she really have... 
you have memories when you're you know from four to ten, yeah, but. Aren't they just sketchy? And then who knows how much and how present he was in her life even when he was around. It wasn't like he had a nine-to-five job and came home every day. So you really don't even know how much of a relationship or how many memories she really had because she just didn't have much time with him before he passed away. And as I said, you see these pictures, there's some of these pictures and they're smiling at each other and he's holding her and they're, and they're, they're just beautiful, heartwarming pictures. But there's other pictures in that same era and in that same, almost that same photo shoot where she also looks very distant. I always felt like there was a sadness in Lisa Marie's eyes, even as a grown woman. She she had that Elvis look, but she didn't smile a lot. Even in her, you know, twenties and thirties and and forties, and even pictures, she she always had either a a guard around herself in public because she was born in the public eye, or she may have just been a troubled, confused person. But I always felt there was a sadness I, I, when I saw her. I, I always did feel a little sorry for her. And so I don't know, like I said before, it was the soft spot I had for Elvis. But when I looked at Lisa Marie, um, I always wished that she would smile more. She always seemed guarded. She always seemed a little uh, suspicious. She always had a little edge to her, a little attitude. Now, apparently, from what I've read, reportedly, she maybe even had been sexually abused by one of her her mother's boyfriends at a certain time when she was a teenager. Allegedly, I don't know if that's true or not. Um, There were stories then that she, you know, became addicted to drugs and alcohol and opioids. She was a Scientologist for many years. She wound up leaving that about eight or nine years ago. And then, of course, she's been married four times. It's, and two of those were very odd and high-profile marriages. And then that's not even my, uh, it's not just my personal view of being odd. She was married to uh, a, a musician named Danny Kehoe, who she had two children to. In fact, there's a, an actress right now named Riley Kehoe, Um who has been in many TV shows, that's Elvis's granddaughter. She divorced Danny Kehoe, and she married Michael Jackson. People may not remember that. She married Michael Jackson. It was the oddest-looking thing. It was odd-looking. You know, for most part, Lisa Marie was was really not in the spotlight. It's not like today, especially in today's world with, with social media, where we know all these celebrity kids. They're, you know, they're already influencers and all these Kardashians and all the Mellencamps and all whatever. Uh, you know, all these kids. We, you know, we know Beyonce's kids and, uh, you know, and we know Will Smith's kids and all this stuff. Lisa Marie was not, she was kept out of the spotlight, whether that was intentional or by her own choice, but she was really not around. We always knew Lisa Marie. What the hell? Elvis named a plane after his plane after her. When you go to Graceland, there's this big 747 jet. Maybe it's not a 747, but it's a huge jet that's parked there, and it's called the Lisa Marie. 
All right? So she has a, she had a, a plane named after her when she was a little kid. How many people have that, right? <laughs> but so she, even though she was, you know, she was in the, you know, she was born in the spotlight, for the most part of her life, she was not making headlines like Drew Barrymore or whatever. She was not um, capitalizing on Elvis's name, and she wasn't an actress. As I said before, her first album came out in, in 2023, or I mean 2003. You know, she was 35 when that happened. Most, you know, pop stars are in their teens or early 20s. She was 35 when she put out her first album. So she stayed out of the limelight. But then when she got married to Michael Jackson, it was like she emerged. You didn't even know what she really looked like. When you saw her, you're like, whoa, she's a spitting image of Elvis. She, she had the eyes and the nose and the, and the shape of the, of the face and the chin. I mean, she really looked like Elvis. But she emerged for the first time publicly, really, on any kind of major basis when she married Michael Jackson. I mean, think about the, the absurdity of that on every level. On every level, everything we know about Michael Jackson, the absurdity that he married Elvis Presley's daughter, and of course the king of pop marrying the king of rock and roll's daughter, that's just the tip of the iceberg. But I mean, given Michael Jackson's alleged background, for him to marry anybody sounds crazy. But then to to to, to marry Elvis Presley's daughter, who we didn't even weren't even aware of as far as the pop culture was concerned. She emerged, and the first time she emerged, she was standing next to Michael Jackson kissing him on MTV. Very strange. Obviously, that marriage didn't work. (laughs) And then her next marriage, she follows up the Michael Jackson marriage with a four-month marriage to a four-month chaser, to Nicolas Cage. Apparently she was engaged to somebody, went to a party, met Nicolas Cage, broke off her engagement, married Nicolas Cage in August, and, 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 and was separated by November of the same year. <laughs> Three months later. So, you know, I, I you know, she had a very turbulent and then married and then married again for a fourth time and had twin daughters who are now like 14 years old and married another musician danny kehoe the first uh husband was a studio musician and so was her final and last marriage so she had a, a very you know confused and turbulent personal life Marriage-wise, you know, uh, her relationship with her mother, it's not, let's put it this way, it's not easy being heir to a king. (laughs) Ask anybody, whether it's a monarch or a king of rock and roll, it clearly was not easy being heir to the king. And in this case, it was the king of rock and roll. Um. Apparently, she was very um, active in charities. She won different awards for her charity work. 
She was a talented singer-songwriter. You can't take that away from her. No, she didn't reach the heights that Elvis Presley did. Few do. But she clearly was talented. She did have a good voice. And she did sing her own songs and write her own songs. More than her dad did. But there's no question uh, that she lived a very tough life. And apparently... Uh, the last couple of years were very grief-stricken because one of her first children, um, her second child, Benjamin, uh, committed suicide about two years ago, almost three now, in 2020. And apparently it sounds like his suicide really threw her over the edge. And that's maybe when she got addicted to opioids or who knows, whatever. But she had been to rehab um, she admitted that, and um, you know it, it. So she clearly then. Now we're finding out in some court documents she never really graduated from high school. She may have gone to the eleventh grade. She may have had some financial problems, which is crazy when you think about Elvis's success. But she made some bad investments and really spent a lot of money. Um, she sold the rights to Graceland. She still owns the house and the land, but in terms of the Elvis Presley trust, you know, in terms of the 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 home as it is a a tourist attraction, she doesn't own that. She got a big lump sum, but apparently she went through that pretty quick. So just a lot of confusion and turbulence. It sounds like as, as, as great it was, I mean, come on, you're Elvis Presley's daughter, but it, it, it was a tough life. And so at only age 54, uh, for her to pass was, was really a shock. And what's really sad about it is even though she may not, might not have had many memories of her father, she may not have really known her father all that well because of him dying so soon. She certainly saw and heard the stories of his own addictions, of his own spiral, of his own decline. And what's sad is it it sounds as if she repeated that, and it may have led to her demise. As I record this, the, the coroner's report has been deferred, meaning they're continuing to do uh, some more investigation as to what caused her cardiac arrest at age 54. But she did look very frail. They show pictures of her at the Golden Globes during the, the red carpet walking and, and, and physically holding on to her escort by the arm. She looked a little wobbly and frail there. Um, she was certainly emotional when Austin but- Butler won the... Um, the Golden Globe. She was crying. They panned to the uh, to her table. I I even commented when I saw that when they panned to her table. I said to my wife, "Wow, Lisa Marie does not look good." Oof! You know, I hadn't seen her in a while. She, for the most part, stayed out of the public eye. Um, and I was again. I don't know if she was just uh, you know, like so much like the royal family. You know, they're very. Um, you know, suspicious and hesitant of the press. As I said, it's not easy being the heir to a king. And Lisa Marie had her own king to deal with, to be the heir of. Um, 
So she seemed to have led um, a kind of a tough life. And I always, as I said before, felt that there was a little sadness in, you know, in her eyes. And so, you know, I, I certainly hope she did work, do a lot of charity work. I do hope that, um, you know, amidst all those kind of trials and, and tribulations of her life, um, hopefully, you know, there were some good times too. But she was very guarded. She seemed very private. But when I did see her, when she was doing a lot of promotion for her album, you know, in, in the early 2000s, uh, when she was 35, she seemed to uh, be very funny. She had kind of a, 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 a biting sense of humor. She was very pretty, as I said before, very attractive. And, uh, but she had this kind of edge to her, which I liked. And she was kind of funny, and she, and she, was, but she, and she was very articulate. Um, so uh, I never would have thought that I would have been as moved or touched or saddened by the death of Lisa Marie. But I guess the tragedy of it at such a young age, and then the fact that it appears that she may have sadly repeated many of the um, the difficult and ultimately fatal decisions that uh, that plagued her father and brought him to an early death. I mean, think about it. Her father was 42 and she was 54. Still relatively young people uh, with a lot more life to live and a lot more to do and experience. And given their standing and their means, maybe a lot more good to do as well. So I'm sad to see Lisa Marie Presley pass away. It's, uh, it's going to be a very poignant sight from now on when you go to Graceland. Because now when you go to the meditation garden at Graceland, you will see Elvis and his grave. You will see his mother's grave and his father, his mother Gladys, his father Vernon. And you will see some of his other relatives. And then, sadly, you will see the grave of his only daughter and the grave of her son, who was only 27 or so when he, when he killed himself. Graceland is an interesting place to visit, but when you get to that meditation garden, it's kind of cool to walk through the hall, you know, walk through the house and see the jungle room and, and see the room with the televisions and, that Elvis apparently one time shot in this room with all the, the mirrors on the ceilings and the walls. And there's another, the billiard room has all these um, material on the ceilings and the walls. And there's this big, the big jungle room. And then there's the racquetball court and there's horses there. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's, it's interesting to walk through the house. There's some rooms at the top you can't go to, the private areas. But it's kind of neat. But, but then when you get to that meditation garden at the very end of the tour, um, as interesting and eye-popping and uh, even kind of funny 
the whole Graceland house experience is. When you get to the meditation garden, it really becomes a very sad and somber experience because you look at that Elvis's grave and you see that he was only 42 years old when he died. And you know how how uh, devastated he was when his mother passed away. He loved his mother so much. The sad part is there's a lot of trauma and a lot of sadness and a lot of tragedy in that Presley family. And I think when you when you go to that meditation garden, you will now really feel that even more. You know, there is tragedy in the Presley family from the day Elvis was born. And you say, Jim, why, that sounds kind of mean. No, it's not. Many people may not know or forgot, but Elvis had a twin brother, Jesse Aaron, who's also buried at Graceland, at that meditation garden. He had a twin brother who was still born. So right off the bat, the, the, this young Presley family of Vernon and Gladys had tragedy in their lives. And that's why they were so dedicated to Elvis, their surviving son, because they had lost a son. So from the beginning, there was tragedy in that house and in that family. And sadly, it, while there was tremendous success, there was a sadness. Glad, Gladys died at a young age. Elvis's mom. And then Elvis died before his father at age 42. And now his child dies a young and tragic death at age 54. And it's, 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 it's a sad kind of thing. But... Uh, we look at celebrities in such a way and we look back and say, wow, what a great life they have. All this fame and fortune, but um, you know, so often that, that fame and fortune only breeds tragedy. And so Elvis certainly lived uh, an amazing life of fame and fortune, but he also lived a very tragic life. And sadly, even though the lesson was there, um, it seems in many ways... So did Lisa Marie Presley. It's, uh, it's sad. And um, at least in some way, father and daughter are reunited after all these years. And so ends another episode of Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. Every Monday, a new episode is posted at WGNRadio.com. Or wherever you go to find your favorite podcast, we are there. And don't forget to tell your friends, tell your family, tell anybody you know that listens to a podcast that your favorite podcast is Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic, and it should be theirs too. Your loyalty and devotion is much appreciated. Hope you enjoyed episode number 350. I'm Jim Toronto. I am here on business. I'm only here for fun. You've been listening to Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. From the end of the web to your screen. Thank you. Thank you very much.